We're going to transition back into a time of focusing on God's Word. And so as you guys wrap up um, kind of what's going on and catching up with everybody, I just want to give us a reset. We are kicking off a year where we are focusing on being a people who pray like our lives depend on it. And so to kick that year off, we've been in a series where we're trying to build a foundation of how we engage prayer, both as individuals, but also as a church. And we've looked at what prayer is. Um, Steve, thank you for preaching that. That seemed like a hard sermon. So I'm glad that you took that one for me. We've talked about why it's hard to pray. We've talked about why we pray. And today we're going to look at how we pray. And I think this is a question that a lot of us ask, even if it's on a subconscious level. Because anytime we want to do anything, I think based just on how humans are made, we want to know if we're doing it right. <clears throat> and so when you take up a new hobby, there's always that period of fear of, am I going to look silly? Am I going to look foolish? Am I doing it right? Are people going to make fun of me? Is this even working? So like we have our men's soccer game on Saturdays that um, I've been told it's actually not men's soccer. It's RCC soccer. So if you're a woman who plays soccer, please come play. Sorry. One of the first things when we talk to people about this that they say is, well, I can't come. I've never played before, right? Because there's something in us that has this fear of when I am doing something that I'm not comfortable with or that I don't do a lot, what if I do it wrong? How do I do this? Have you ever bought the Ikea furniture and you're like, how, <laughs> how do I do this? What am I doing with this furniture, right? And so I think with us prayer, a lot of us have this similar barrier. We're like, man, I don't know how to do this. Or I grew up in a faith tradition where it was done this way and there's a right way and a wrong way. And how do I stand? How, when, when should I pray? What words do I use? What if I don't have the right words? I'm not an eloquent speaker. So what if I say it wrong? Is God going to hear me? And we have this question, how do I pray? And so we look at the Bible and we say, okay, what does the Bible say about how we pray? And when you look, one of the realities you'll notice is there is not a consistent call on how you should pray in terms of where you stand, how you sit, the exact words you say, what time of day. We don't get a, a guidebook that is telling you physically how to pray. So when we talk about how we should pray and we go to scripture, it almost never addresses the physical posture of our bodies, the literal words that we say, or what time that prayer happens. What we do see scripture talk about when it asks us to pray is the posture that we enter prayer into. What is the state of our hearts as we go before God to engage him in relationships? And so today when we talk about how we pray, we want to talk about the posture of our hearts. What does scripture say about the posture of our hearts as we come into the presence of God to tell him how great he is, to tell him that we love him, to ask him to meet our needs, to intercede for other people? Really, the key component of how we pray lies in the posture of our hearts. How are we coming to God? And so if you have your Bibles, there's a lot of different places we could go, but one of the most powerful reflections of a heart posture that we should seek is in Hebrews chapter 10. It's in verse 19. And so let's talk a little bit about what happened in, in the 18 verses before this, before we jump into the posture of our hearts. 
The book of Hebrews is written to Jewish believers, helping them understand who Jesus is and why he is a superior model than the old covenant model that they had where they were sacrificing animals, right? And so everything in the first 18 chapters or verses of chapter 10 is talking about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. It's specifically talking about his death. And so for the first 18 verses of this chapter, the author of Hebrews is explaining to the reader that Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sins. And that through his death, the blood of Jesus forgave us of our trespasses. And that everything about our faith and our ability to relate to God is built on the foundation of the death of Jesus that because of his sacrifice, we have been declared forgiven and innocent. And so there's 18 verses that are building this reality of who we are and the foundational reality of the death of Jesus Christ and how that ties into who we are. And so then in verse 19, where we're gonna pick up, he pivots and says, so here's what that means. So the first 18 verses were, Jesus died for your sins, now what? And this gets into the posture of our hearts because really the posture of our hearts in prayer, we talked about this last week, is just a response to who Jesus is. He says, therefore brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You'll notice there's two big ideas that he hits here. That we have confidence so that we draw near to the Lord. Ultimately, prayer is us actively drawing near to the Lord. Well, how do we do that? What posture can we draw near to the Lord with? He says we can do it with confidence. And that's the first element of posture I want us to think about when we pray. We should pray with a confidence. Here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that we pray with a confidence of whatever I tell God to do, he's going to do it. That's not praying to God. That is ordering an employee around. And we don't want to confuse the relationship that we have with the Lord, right? Like we, we don't command him, he commands us. And so this isn't confidence in the sense of you are guaranteed to get whatever you, if you need a million dollars, you ask God, he'll give you a million dollars, right? If you give a million, he'll give you two million. That's not what this is saying. That's not in the Bible. That's not the confidence this is referring to. He's saying that we have a confidence that we can draw near to the Lord. What is that confidence based off of? That we have a pure heart. When we think about drawing near to the Lord, this isn't just a concept that we wrestle with in Christianity. I think that God has built us, all humans, with this deep understanding that there is this distance between us and the divine, right? That humans are limited, we're sinful, and we're broken. God is holy, above, and powerful. And there's this gap between us and God that we feel like can't be bridged. And you see this really throughout every religion in the world, that there's this need that we have to please God so we can come into his presence, right? In the Old Testament, we see God explain to his people that to draw near to him, there had to be a sacrifice for sin. God's perfection demands that justice is accomplished in the face of wrong. And so, for people to be able to come into the presence of God and be near to him, their sin, the wrongdoing, evil that was happening, had to be atoned for. 
There was not the ability to come into God without that atonement. This was something that we understand through the lens of the Old Testament, but any literature that you read in the ancient world, there is this idea of wanting to please the gods. This is a basic understanding that we have as people. Unfortunately, what can happen when we misunderstand this is that we don't go to God with confidence because we're not sure he's pleased with us. And we can apply this dynamic to the Lord that we have with other people where being able to be near to God or being accepted by God is really based on our performance. And that maybe God's mad at us today and doesn't want to hear from us. We don't know if he'll be consistent. Man, I didn't treat my kids the way that I should today. I don't know that I can pray with confidence. I'm fighting with my wife. I don't know that I can pray with confidence. I'm struggling with addiction and it feels like I'm losing. I don't know if I can go to God with confidence and be near to him. And so we don't enter prayer with a bold confidence that we can be near to God. We kind of stay on the edges and the idea of being near to God is scary. We don't know if he wants to hear from us or we don't know what he would say to us. We don't know if we would be accepted. And unfortunately, that's because for a lot of us, we've had human relationships like that. And so we can think back where we have been accepted or rejected based on our performance, or that we've had family members or parents or even religious organizations be inconsistent in how they accepted us, right? And so when we enter these spaces of prayer, it's very difficult for us to draw near to God because we're just unsure if he wants to hear from us. This is where this truth of who Jesus is is so important to us because look at what it says. We have confidence to enter the holy places by what? By the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in what? In full assurance of faith. That because of the death of Jesus, we can be fully confident that we have the ability to be near to God. It is not just okay that we can go into God's presence. It is completely acceptable. You know, if you think about the confidence that our kids have with being in our presence, this gives you a little bit of a picture of what he's calling us into. I, I've noticed this in a new way with Zoom meetings. Now that we're still kind of in Zoom world a little bit, my youngest has absolutely no problem coming into my presence regardless of what I'm doing. And so if you're on a Zoom meeting with me and you see my eyes doing this, it's probably because my youngest has run into the room and he's showing me something or doing something. Listen, he's not worried that I might be busy. He's not worried that there could be something important that I'm talking about, none of that makes any difference to him. Why? Because he's completely confident that I want to hear from him. He would never wonder, oh, maybe dad's busy right now. I don't know if this is the best time. No, I need you to see this picture I drew of a lion right now. I didn't even need to put pants on. I, I was so, like, I just came in here. It just, like, you need to see this right now. No worries. Okay, listen, that, that's just a shadow of the type of acceptance we have from our Heavenly Father. The confidence that we should go to him in our hearts is one where we know he is waiting to hear from us, that he desires our presence and that we are acceptable in his sight. What is that based on? It's based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why we celebrate communion and remember every week. This is why we call you to consistently be in scripture so that we're reminded of who we are in Jesus so we can draw near to the Lord in confidence. 
There is a connection between the places you go and how confident you are that you'll be accepted there. Nobody goes places that we don't feel confident will be accepted. We naturally avoid those spots. And so for a lot of us, the spiritual insecurity we have around our brokenness and imperfection prevents us from going to the Lord in a way that we're confident he wants to hear from us. And scripture says we don't have to do that. For us to truly be a people that pray like our lives depend on it. It is so important that we feel the freedom and the confidence to draw near to the Lord. He's not angry at us. He's not holding our sin over our heads. It's, It's been forgiven. Now, does that mean that he won't still convict us and call us to repent? No, of course not. You actually will see when you go on past this section of scripture, God talks about unrepentant sin. And he says blatant unrepentant sin is a sign that you don't actually know Jesus, right? And so we need to go to God with a confidence that we are accepted. Our sin has been punished. It's been projected onto Jesus Christ. And through that, we are acceptable to our heavenly father. He's not like the earthly relationships that we've experienced because he's God. He's different. And we have the ability to draw near to him. And so when we pray, we can pray with confidence. And so do we have a posture of confidence when we pray? Again, not an arrogance, not a presumption that God will do what we say, but do we have a confidence that God loves us and sees us as his children? When we pray that way, prayer doesn't become scary. It doesn't become forbidden. We don't have to wonder if if someone's actually listening on the other end. But because of Jesus, we actually have a confidence that God loves us and wants to hear from us. And if you're like me, um, I I tend to default to performance-based acceptance. This can be a really hard idea to wrap your heart around. Like we can hear it and we can wrap our heads around it, but it's really difficult to wrap our hearts around. I can remember and look back at my life and there's so many times I felt like I just, I wasn't good enough or wasn't accepted, you know? And if you're like me, you just catalog those moments and project that on to God. Like, so, um, for example, like when my parents split up, um, I was very, very young. And because of that, I kind of went into a bit of a shell and I wore a Star Trek uniform way past what would be socially acceptable into adolescence. And so there was just some time that the acceptance was not a regular part of my life. And it's so easy for me to look at, oh man, I'm still defined by the rejection that I felt from people, right? And maybe it's not a Star Trek uniform for you. I hope not for your sake because that wasn't great for me. But maybe, maybe it was something else. And maybe it is a sin that you committed that you're still dealing with the consequences for. Maybe it is just a brain chemistry, mental health issue. Like I don't understand why I'm different, God do you not love me? Whatever that might be, it's so important that we go to scripture and allow God to work in our hearts to remind us that we can be confident that we are accepted and it has nothing to do with our performance and everything to do with what Jesus accomplished through his death. And when that reality begins to penetrate our heart, we will experience a new freedom and it's okay that we're dependent on the Lord. Let's keep going into the second posture area in verse 23. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He who is, for he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Well, what's the confession of our hope? It's that we believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God who lived a perfect life on earth, died on the cross for our sins, took the punishment that we deserved, 
rose from the grave three days later, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, and is one day coming back to call us into an eternal life with God, right? That's the confession of our hope. He says we have to hold fast to the confession of our hope. So how does that translate into a heart posture? It's understanding. We understand not just who we are, but we understand who God is. For us to hold fast to a confession, we have to understand what we're confessing. And I think a lot of times when we pray, we don't always enter into prayer with a firm understanding of who God is. And I do think it's related to confidence. I believe these build on each other a little bit, but I don't know that we always enter into a prayer with a full grasp of who God is. Maybe we would confess who God is with our minds, but I think sometimes in our hearts, whether it's out of fear or insecurity or hurry or whatever, we don't engage God with a full understanding of who he is. So different way to say this. Um, when you are drawing near to the presence of God, there is a natural reaction to the right understanding of who he is, isn't there? So if we really believe that God is who he says he is, how would that affect the way that we come into his presence? If God is the creator of the universe, if God is our savior, if God is our father, if God is our redeemer, if God is sovereign over everything, how does that change the way we engage him? Think about how you do this with people. Uh, when I was an intern in seminary, I was an intern at, um, it was called Fellowship Bible Church North at the time. And the guy who started it was a guy named Gene Getz. And Gene Getz was a seminary professor at Dallas Seminary. He also was one of the founders of the Fellowship Bible Church movement. Very, very influential thinker in um, evangelical Christianity in America. And so at the time, um, Gene had retired and he had a guy named Jeff Jones step in to become the lead pastor of that church. And Gene had what was called the, um, he had a ministry. I can't remember what it was called, but he had a ministry that he was doing out of the church building. I was only vaguely aware of this. Like I was an intern that put the, um, I put like the papers on the chairs. That was kind of what I did. And so I was vaguely aware of what was happening. I knew who Gene Getz was, but I didn't know a ton about the church. And so I'm just kind of walking through the office one day. This older guy walks and says, hey, I need your help to get some boxes. I'm like an intern. I'm like, okay, cool. And so um, I load the guy's boxes up, get in the van. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't really want to get the boxes. Okay. Um, it wasn't something that I was super excited about. It actually kind of took me away from some studying I needed to do, which was rare in and of itself anyways. And so I begrudgingly helped this guy get the boxes. Um, I wasn't like mean to him, but I also wasn't super gracious with my face. You know what I'm talking about? Like your face, my eyebrows are very communicative. Um, and so I, I was, I, I, as politely as I could while expressing annoyance, helped this guy load his books up and get on his way. I walked back in. So I said, hey, do you know who that was? I was like, no. He's like, yeah, that's Gene Getz. He kind of started, I was like, oh no. <laughs> if I knew who that was, I might have treated him differently, right? We understand the wake and reality of entering into significant people. We do. We just understand that. That concept isn't different when we think about who God is. So when we enter into prayer with God, when we draw near to him, a posture of understanding doesn't mean that we don't have confidence that he accepts us, but it does mean that we understand that we're entering a holy place, that it's weighty. The amazing thing about prayer is that it's instantly accessible, but it's also incredibly weighty and holy, right? It doesn't mean that God's far away and doesn't want to hear from us, but it also doesn't mean that it's casual and no big deal. 
Somehow at the same time, God is completely close to us, but also completely holy and powerful. And so when we enter into prayer, we should enter into prayer with a heart posture of understanding. We're not on the phone with our buddy. We are communing with the creator of the universe, our savior who knows us and loves us. And so that should bring a weight and a depth to our prayer that refreshes us, not because of us, but because of who it is that we draw near to. If we don't understand who God is, then we miss out on the weight and significance of what's happening when we go to him in prayer. We miss out on his ability to not only answer our prayer, but to answer it beyond what we thought he had the ability to do. We miss out on the opportunity to be spiritually formed by the presence of God. We don't ever wanna take the presence of God lightly. Again, it's a weird tension, right? It's like, well, I thought we could go into his presence anytime we want. Well, you can. I thought he accepted me. Well, he, he does. But you don't wanna treat that like it's no big deal. You understand the, you understand the tension there? Right? And so we get to live in that tension, but what helps us navigate that tension is a proper understanding of what our confession of hope is, right? And so our doctrine matters. Understanding what we believe and why is an integral part of our life as Christians because it helps us rightly approach God with a heart of humility and gratitude and awe and hope and comfort. And it's amazing that the bigness of God can encompass such a wide variety of spiritual realities at the same time. But the way that we engage that well is with a posture of understanding of who God is. God is not angry at us. When our sins have been forgiven by Jesus, he's accepted us as his children, but God's also not our butler, right? And so we need to make sure that we're entering prayer with a posture of understanding. Do we understand the magnitude of who God is? So let's, let's keep going. So we have confidence. We enter with understanding. Here's, here's the last one. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this is fascinating because what the author of Hebrews is doing is he is writing to people about their response to what Jesus did for them. And the way that he wraps up that response is by pointing their eyes to the people around them, right? And this is a good reminder that everything that God did for us is not solely just about us. I'm an only child. I struggle with the concept that everything's not about me, right? And so I think as people, it's so easy for us to forget that this isn't just about us. When we approach God in prayer, we should also have a posture of brotherly love. We should keep in mind our brothers and sisters in Jesus. When we go to God, it is perfectly acceptable if you go to God and you pray for yourself and no one else. It doesn't make you a bad prayer. We also wanna keep in mind though, when we go to God in prayer, we should go to God with a posture of brotherly love and we should consider how we can pray for the people around us. We should consider how we stir one another up to good works through asking God to move in the lives of those around us. And I think we need to be careful because it's almost like you hear this so often, it almost means nothing. It's like, oh yeah, I'll pray for you. Again, understanding who is God? When we pray for someone, it's not just a box check that we do in church. Oh yeah, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. 
for a lot of us, we're almost cynical when people say that because like, well, what does that mean? Why does that matter? You know, we want to be people that when we say we're praying for you, it actually means that we're praying for you. And so how can we take on this posture of brotherly love? I think the answer is actually really simple, but it's difficult to do and it's proximity. It is very difficult to love someone that you don't have proximity to. It just is, it's complicated. Like you can love them with your brain, but it's hard to love somebody with your heart if you don't ever spend time with them, right? And so one of the ways that we are formed spiritually is by being in proximity with other believers. And so as a church, this is why we call you guys to these spaces where you can be formed spiritually to engage our community. Because when we go to God, we wanna be praying for people. And we don't wanna just pray with our brains, we wanna pray with our hearts. To know the deep needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to spend time with them and share those needs. You, you don't tend to share deep life with somebody that you just randomly meet on the street, right? Like it may happen occasionally, but generally speaking, you don't randomly bump into somebody and say, hey, listen, um, I have been struggling with a severe relationship issue. I've never told anyone about this. Can we talk about it? And can, can you even pray for me? That doesn't happen. We tend to be more comfortable in opening up and getting really deep in what is happening in our hearts with people that we know love us, with people that we trust care about us, and with people that we know are actually gonna follow up. Those relationships are built through time spent together. And so as a church, we strive to be a people that spend time to build those relationships. And so whether it's being in a group whether it is being in a mentoring relationship with somebody, whether it's just somebody you meet and grab coffee with on a regular basis, maybe it's serving together in a ministry, maybe it's playing soccer, maybe it's we're gonna kind of launch this new deal here in um, a couple of weeks called Community Dinners, where just the first three weeks of November, we've asked some people to just open their homes up and they're just gonna have a couple people over for dinner, right? Like, it's not groundbreaking. We know how to do this. It's just taking the time to make it a priority. And so anytime we read scripture, when God calls us to draw near to him, he also calls us to draw near to one another. Those two movements happen at the exact same time. So we wanna be a people that draws near to each other. When we go to God, we wanna go to God with a posture of brotherly love. It's okay to just pray for yourself and what you need, but we probably shouldn't just always only pray for ourselves and what we need. It's probably a sign of spiritual health if when we're going to the Lord, we're also considering how through that time we can stir up the people around us to good works. How are the people in your neighborhood doing? Do you need to pray for their marriage? How, how is your small group doing? How are their children doing? How is their dating relationship going? How is their job going? How is their education going? How's their budget going? How's their family? How are their parents? Well, it's difficult for us to know how to pray for people if we don't spend time with them. And so when this was written, it was a little bit easier to spend time with people because everybody lived really close and had to walk places. They didn't have cars. It was just, it was easier, right? We live in a bit more of a hectic, individualized society. Um, I know like for us this week, uh, Monday through Thursday, we had soccer practice every night of the week. And then, um, let's see, did we, do, did we do something? We did like Saturday was 9 a.m. to... 8 p.m., also all soccer. Um, and then today, um, obviously I'm here now. And then we have a newcomers event after this, which is wonderful. Then we have small group after that, which is awesome. None of those things are bad, but just like you, you hear like, yeah, that's my schedule too. We are constantly busy. 
we're constantly busy. So for us to really cultivate these relationships, we've got to take time. We've got to sacrifice. We've got to be intentional about being in proximity with other people. Otherwise, our schedules and our smartphones will just slowly eat away all our time and we'll live in isolation and we'll miss out on this really key component of a vibrant prayer life. And so for us to dig into who God has called us to be, scripture says we need to make sure that we have a spirit of brotherly love where we know the people around us, where we know how we can pray for their hearts, where we can support them when they are struggling, because that's just a part of what it means to draw near to the Lord, is we also draw near to his people. And so the good news is that we don't do this on our effort alone. Right? Like our confession of faith is that when we put our faith in Jesus, it's not just that we're declared innocent. We're also declared holy. We're changed. We become like God. His Holy Spirit indwells our hearts. And we are different because God is working in us. And so as we face these postures of how we should pray, we don't have to do it of our own power. We have a God that works in us and moves in us. We just ask him. And so today, as we move into a time of celebrating communion, we can do that with a confidence that we've been forgiven. We can do that with an understanding of who God is, and we can do that with a brotherly love of coming together in unity to approach the table. And so as the team comes and leads us in worship, I want us to prepare our minds and our hearts to celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, And so, listen, as we do this today, this is just a reminder of the posture that we have access to, that we have a posture of confidence that we're loved, that we have a posture of understanding who God is, and that we have a posture of brotherly love where we intercede for one another because we truly love the people that God's put in our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us your son, Jesus. God, help this to be real to us. Help this to not just be words that we speak. Help it to not be an idea that we nod to on Sunday morning, but allow the truth of your word and your spirit to penetrate our hearts and to change us. Help us to draw near to you with a confident expectation that we are wanted and loved. God, help us to understand who you are. As big as you are, help us to understand who you are. And God, help us to love one another. Help us to have conversations of reconciliation and forgiveness where those need to take place. Help us to make time to be in proximity with the people around us. And help us to be a community that just continues to depend on you for everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.